Good morning. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 49 with me. Isaiah chapter 49. You know, I love Stephen explaining what is an Ebenezer. But who can tell me what a fetter is? Just yell it out if you know it. A spade? A chain? There you go. I've been wanting to know that for 15 years. But I'll tell you something that I bet you will know. What an evil banana is. Sorry, that's a, a line from Providence's school play, Tuck Everlasting, that my children really enjoy. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. Several years ago, I was at a, um, had the privilege of going and listening to a British PhD student deliver his dissertation on his thesis of what he called the Forgotten Covenant. The covenant of redemption made between the Father and the Son, something at the time I had never heard of. I knew the covenant of grace, right? Made in Christ between God and us, the covenant of works with Adam. But he was speaking of a mutual promise made between the Father and the Son. And one of the key texts that he went to to just expound this idea was Isaiah 49. And so I began to dig. And I went to one of my favorites, a man named John Flavel, who taught a lot on this. Isaiah 49 is the second of four servant songs. It's about the suffering servant and what he would do. It's about the work of God's servant, who we know to be Jesus Christ, well, for lots of reasons. But one of the main reasons is because when Christ is starting his earthly ministry, he goes into the tabernacle, right, his home church essentially, and he, he asks for the scrolls of Isaiah and he takes it to here, to the suffering servant. And he, he reads these sections about the suffering servant and says, Today, these things are fulfilled. In other words, that's me. I am the suffering servant. And he hands it back. Now, Isaiah 49 is the second of the four. And it's unique because the song is a dialogue between the father and the son, between God and the servant. And in it, what we see are pieces of this covenant of redemption. The rewards the servant receives for accomplishing the work of God and the promises that God the Father makes to the servant. This is reward to Christ. His work. The fruits of it. But it is grace to you. Which means God's seeds of love for you were sown from eternity. Let's just read. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. Isaiah 49, I'm going to read 1-7. through seven. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hands, He hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In His quiver, He hid me away. 
And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and rise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I, I just praise You for the agreement between You and the Son from eternity. Agreement of redemption to not leave mankind. A agreement for the Son to go and accomplish Your will. God, and I pray today that Your Spirit would teach us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear Your Word. And when we leave here, we would have a deeper understanding of the gravity of what Christ has done for us, what He has left and what He has accomplished. Father, we would want to worship. Father, we would want to just go and get alone and proclaim Your greatness for what You've done for me. God, and that is a work of Your Spirit. So please... Let your spirit work now for your glory and for our joy. In Christ's name, amen. Your salvation was accomplished not when you said a prayer, but by an eternal agreement between the Father and the Son. This agreement had terms, or you might say promises. The Puritans called it a covenant. And it accomplished your salvation. Yet it was hard. It was painful for the one who accomplished it, the Son. Now John Flavel gives this illustration. He explains it like this. Listen, my friends. Between the Father and the Son. Father says, My Son, look at man who has utterly turned away from me and now I now lie in the paths of my justice. My justice will be an eternal ruin for them. What shall be done to redeem them? The Son. Father, I have the greatest love and mercy for them. So instead of them facing Your judgments, I will be responsible. You can require their punishment of me. I choose, if it be Your will, to suffer your punishments rather than they should. Lay all their debts upon me. The Father. My son, if you undertake this, you must pay it all. Expect no mercy from me. If I show them grace, I will not show you grace. 
If I spare them, I cannot spare you. The Son, let it be. Charge it to me. I am able to finish the work. And even though it will separate me from all the riches I have with you, I will do your will. Isaiah 49, we see parts of that eternal conversation. Described, the servant says, He called me from the womb to be a sharp arrow, a preacher to proclaim the Gospel, to bring glory to God by not just saving Israel, which is far too small a thing for the greatness and the glory of the servant, but to bring light, the light of salvation to the nations, to the ends of the world. Now my friends, if the Scripture from the beginning declares that man cannot redeem himself, how could God redeem us without harming His honor, His justice, and His truth? Think about that. In order to be God, He cannot sacrifice His justice to satisfy His love. He cannot say, oh, she'll be right. I'll just wipe away and forgive their sin. No, no, no. That wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be God. This is the eternal business that lay before the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think of it like this. Sin has the most damaging, destroying effects upon mankind. Blinding our minds from the wisdom of God. Making us guilty before God. And enslaving our desires, our will. The Son agreed to leave His glory, His comfort, to take on flesh, to come under obedience to the law, to accept the hardest of sufferings as our substitute. This is His promise to the Father. The Father then promises to keep Him, to give the Spirit to Him for the work, and to receive what He's done on the cross as sufficient. 1 Corinthians 1.30 describes it like this, He is now for the believer your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification, your redemption, satisfying all the damaging effects of sin. We call it gospel restoration. Christ has restored what sin and the enemy destroyed. So here's our main idea today. Your salvation was accomplished through an eternal agreement between the Father and the Son. And to that you should say, Amen. Let's dig in. The terms of the agreement for the Father. Two things we're going to see. The terms of the agreement for the Father and the terms of the Son. First, the terms of the agreement for the Father, spirit and support. Spirit and support. If you would look with me, verses 49, verse 40, chapter 49, sorry, verse 1 to 2. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb and from the body of my mother. He made, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. Now imagine entering a, a war zone. Imagine being dropped off by a helicopter into Argentina and the, the pilot says, hey, good luck. And that's it. 
There's no support for you. I hope your mission goes well. It's just the opposite here with the Lord. Notice those words. He called him from the womb. I'm going to read Isaiah 42.6, which is the first servant song, okay? 42.6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. This means the Father promises to crown the servant's work with success from the womb. The work of the suffering servant was the most difficult, which would break the ability of both angels and men. So the Father says He will call him from the womb. He will be with him. He will support him. He will uphold the physical weaknesses of his humanity when it is overcome by persecutions, by hatred, and it's ready to sink under the despair. Verse 7 describes it quite well, doesn't it? Right? The Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation. We see this with Christ on the cross, don't we? Through the Father, the support came. Luke twenty-two twenty-three, And there appeared an angel from heaven strengthening Him. The Father upholding the Son even in the weakness of His flesh. But He didn't just do that. He didn't just send an angel. He also gave Him His Spirit. Verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. I'm going to read Isaiah 11-2, which is about the Messiah. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. Listen. Before Christ started His ministry in the local synagogue, when He took up the scroll in Luke 4, the Father fills Him with the Holy Spirit. Just like Luke 11 or Isaiah 11 promised would happen to the Messiah. And it is through the Holy Spirit then that His words are prophetic and powerful, piercing and transforming. It's the Spirit then that strengthens Him. So He upholds Him. He gives Him His Spirit. That's part of His promises. And the last is He accepts His work. Verse 4. Look in your Bibles with me. Surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Verse 5. For I, have, I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, let me read to you now Luke 3.22 at His baptism. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Notice verse 4 here. He's saying surely my right is with the Lord. Which means, surely my work is in His hands. The work of the servant like an arrow to pierce the hearts of men. And the Father promises to honor the mission and the work of the servant. So, the Father then declares in the life of Christ and His ministry as it's just beginning, His pleasure with the work. So when he says, I'm well pleased with the Son, what he says is, I'm well pleased and I accept your work. Now, at the end of his ministry, we see with absolute certainty that the Father has accepted his work. That's the resurrection. The resurrection is literally the Father saying, it is finished, it is paid in full, and now I raise you to show it's done. 
It's almost like if you would someone coming out of prison after they've paid a 15, 20 year prison sentence. When they come out, you know it's finished. You know justice has been satisfied. So before Christ brought the covenant of grace to you, He made a covenant of redemption with His Father. Where the Father designed how to accomplish your redemption to Himself, and the Son goes and accomplishes it through the promises that the Father would uphold Him, give Him the Holy Spirit, and then receive what He's done for you. In 1823, there was a missionary couple named William and Mary M. Williams. They were Anglican of the Methodist branch of the Anglican Church at that time. And they left the comforts of England to go to the South Pacific to an area that was, had, had zero success in missions called the Bay of Plenty. And there with their family, they decided they needed a home. Which meant they needed bricks. And they needed people with skills. Now listen to what Miriam writes in her journal. September 1830. Our new house will bring us all together. And greatly to our comforts. The bricks were burnt here. And just when they were beginning to build a chimney. A bricklayer came and begged for work. Another man who can make good chairs and tables has also been sent just in time to work for us. Thus our needs supplied by him who knoweth all things. A missionary couple in the South Pacific in 1830 needed a house. And what does the father do? He gives them a bricklayer. And he gives them a master woodworker. The Father keeps His promises to His people to meet their needs. Listen. The Father made promises to keep and uphold the servant, His Son. And He fulfilled those promises through the Spirit and the resurrection. And the Father makes and keeps promises to His believing adopted children. That's you who are accomplishing His will here on earth. In other words, in the same way He gave Christ all He needed to do the Father's will, so the Father has provided all that you need, believer, to do His will. To persevere even in the midst of the hardest seasons. And He did the same thing for you that He did for the Savior. He gives you the Holy Spirit and His Word. And the guarantee that you too will be raised from the dead because you're joined to Christ. So when you are spiritually stumbling, Sunday morning you don't want to come to worship because maybe you had an argument with your spouse the night before. Or maybe you looked at something inappropriate and you feel gutted in your weaknesses. Set your eyes of faith on the obedience of Christ. In the covenant of redemption given to you, believer, rest in His accomplishments rather than your struggles and come and worship. Let's go to point two. Your salvation was accomplished in an eternal agreement between the Father and the Son. The Father promised the Son, I will support you, I'll hold your hand in this, I'll give you the Holy Spirit and the resurrection. 
Second, the terms of agreement for the Son is obedience and then rewards. Look in your Bibles with me at verses 5 to 7. Verse 5 to 7. I'm actually going to just read verse 6. 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The Son promised to do the Father's will. I want to read to you John 17, 4. Please listen. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, this whole dialogue is in Philippians 2. I know I'm bouncing around a little bit, but Philippians 2 is very important. I'm going to give you a second. If you just flip there and keep your finger there with me. Philippians 2, verse 6 and 8. Okay? And we see this dialogue right here. Okay, when the pages get quiet, I'll start speaking. Okay, here we go. Philippians 2, verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a what? A servant. Where's he getting that language from? It's Isaiah. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The Son agrees to leave His glory to take on flesh, to live under the law, making Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, just like Isaiah said He would do, and accept the hardest of sufferings, drinking the Father's judgment to save all those who the Father gives Him. The Father gave the Son work to do, and the Son promised obedience to the Father's will to accomplish the work. And therefore, on the cross, when He says, it is finished, what he's saying is, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. I finished my part of the covenant. Now, notice it's not just obedience, it's rewards. It's rewards. There was a, uh, a study that was funded in 2010 and conducted by researchers at Purdue University. And it looked at how perception relates to performance. The U.S. government paid $350,000 to study the 1973 video game Pong. Did you hear that? At how the ball seems to move slower when the paddle is bigger. $350,000. Now that was a big price for a little reward. God's promise to the servant is just the opposite. The amazing cost he paid would receive amazing rewards. Verse 4. Notice, like we said last time, I've labored in vain. The servant feels he has worked and labored in failure. The Jews have not repented and believed. They've rejected me. They've crucified me. Notice God's promise. Verse 5. To bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. Many Jews will be saved by his work 
But salvation and His reward is much more than that. Verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be My servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back. I will make you a light for the nations that My salvation may reach the ends of the earth. His work will be as big as the fall. The world is in spiritual darkness, alienated from God, and the servant will bring the light of salvation to every peoples. He is much more than just the servant of Israel. He is the Savior and servant of the world. And he will receive the worship and glory for what he's done. That is his reward. Verse 7. Look there in your Bibles. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful. Notice, to the one who's deeply despised, rejected, hated, crucified, kings, nation, princes will prostrate themselves. That means they will worship Him for who He is and what He's done. Now, take that finger that's in Philippians 2 and flip it back. Here we are, Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Paul picks up that same thought, that little thought, and he makes it big for us. Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Let me just read that. And we'll finish here. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The hand that was turned against the servant now exalts the servant to be the Lord of salvation. And just like Isaiah said, Paul reiterates the same thing here. Every knee will bow to Jesus, the suffering servant as Lord of heaven and earth. The one who was obedient to the Father's will, who drank the cup of judgment full. And what is a reward to Christ is grace to you. What is His reward? The nations worshiping His grace to you. He receives the glory and the worship. You receive the eternal joy of worshiping and knowing the living God. Listen, let's close with this. If you are a born again believer, God's love for you is ancient. If you're a believer, God's love for you is ancient. It didn't start when you said a prayer. It started like 2 Timothy 1.9 says. Listen. We are saved according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Jesus Christ before the world began. When the Father and the Son made a covenant of redemption. They thought of you and chose to save you. And the Son carried your sins, your particular sins, on the cross and fulfilled and drank the cup for you. God's seed in your life was sown from eternity. He is your ancient friend who has loved you as a parent who adopts a child into his family has provided for you all you need for life and godliness in the Spirit. And He chose to do this for you 
before the world began, before you ever did anything. He then sent His Son to die for you, to pay for your sins. And He sends now the Holy Spirit to draw you and to fill you and adopt you as His. You reap the rewards of this ancient love. And our call now is to worship Christ in spirit and in truth. And what I mean by that, and we'll close with this, is He has given you the Holy Spirit to uphold you, to strengthen you, just like He did His Son. And in the same way that Christ Jesus was raised to Him, to to be with Him, if you are joined to Him by faith, His resurrection is the first fruits, and you will follow. And you will follow. All of this, the design of the Father and of the Son from all eternity. The Father's wills and decrees. The Son to go accomplish it. The Holy Spirit to apply it in your life. To His glory and to our joy and salvation. Amen? Now you know about the covenant of redemption. And may it lead you to much worship. Father, thank you so much um, for what you've done for us. Thank you for the Savior who finished the work. The Father gave him the due, the suffering servant before the foundations of the world. Thank you that you freely chose to come and be obedient to the Father's will. And to be a sacrifice that no man could be, no angel could be. Because you're God. And as God, your sacrifice has infinite worth for the depth of our sin. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who renews and revives our heart, gives us wisdom from above, gives us a new will to know and love you, and frees us from the power of sin. Praise you. Now, Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we remember what you've done for us, may you be worshipped and honored. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could just have the elders.